The following is a message by Pastor Ken Prater of Durkeytown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. For more information about Durkeytown, please visit our website at www.durkeytown.org. That's D-U-R-K-E-E-T-O-W-N dot O-R-G. Heavens, you will establish your faithfulness. You have said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant. I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. Let the heavens praise your wonders, O Lord, uh, your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones for who in the skies can be compared to the Lord, who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord, a God greatly to be feared in the counsel of his holy ones, awesome above all who are around him. O Lord of hosts, who is as mighty as you are. Your faithfulness surrounds you. You rule the raging of the sea. You, uh, when it, its waves rise, you still them. You crush Rahab like a carcass. You scatter your enemies with your mighty arm. The heavens are yours. The earth also is yours. The world and all that is in them, you have founded them. The north and the south, you've created them. Tabor and Hermon joyously praise your name. You have a mighty arm, strong as your hand, high your right hand. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love, faithfulness go before you. Blessed are the people who know the festal shout, who walk, O Lord, in the light of your face, who exalt in your name all the day and in your righteousness are exalted, for you are the glory of their strength. By your favor, our horn is exalted, for our shield belongs to the Lord, our King, to the Holy One of Israel. It's the word of the Lord. Now, Father, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Well, one of the most helpful ways to think about the church is uh, the story of Noah uh, and the ark. Um, I didn't have us read the story because I think it's familiar enough with us that we didn't probably need to review it. Um, But I I want you to know I do believe in the literal account of the ark, that the events happened exactly as the Bible tells us that they happened. But I also believe that the story is to be used for a a greater truth, a truth that it points to. And so I'm going to use the story of Noah and the ark in this sermon to help us think about the work of the church in the care of souls. The work of the church in the care of souls. We have been in the series on continuous spiritual renewal. Uh, We are doing a section here on reproving. So we've retrieved teaching. Now we're taking the teaching and we're correcting some of our thinking about it. And one of the things that I've been wanting to correct is the way we think about the church. And uh, the impact of consumerism on the church in our day is is really significant. And so um, the story of Noah and the ark helps us not only think about the rescue of sinners, but also of the care of souls. So I want us to just really very quickly consider just the two, the parallels between the two. Uh, In the days of Noah, uh, humans were sinful. Of course, the same is true today. God gave grace to Noah, who became a preacher of righteousness. Uh, The church is also to proclaim righteousness. Uh, God told Noah 
uh, to build an ark uh, as a way of salvation to escape the coming judgment. The church tells people about Jesus, who is the ark of rescue for sinners. And just as the ark goes through the judgment of the flood, so Jesus goes through the flood of God's judgment in his own crucifixion. But as the ark goes through judgment, it provides safety from judgment. And of course, Jesus does the same because when we repent of our sins, forsake our sins, and trust in him, we are made safe. We find rescue from the judgment that is coming. Of course, then when Noah and his family and the animals all come out of the ark, uh, they step into a world made new by God. Grace, then, is at the heart of all of it. Not only did Noah find grace in the eyes of the Lord, but we should remember that we also find grace in the eyes of the Lord because at the heart of God's salvation is the good news of His grace that rescues sinners and yet cares for the very soul of sinners because one day, by God's grace, we too will step into God's new world and we will be with Him forever. The threads, then, of God's rather strange grace as it is revealed in the Noah story becomes a rich tapestry for the church to consider. The church which Jesus has built, which Jesus has constructed, is the place for the rescue of sinners and the care of souls. And as we invite people into the church, we are not inviting them into some kind of a community organization. We are inviting them into Jesus, for we are his body prepared to tell them about the rescue for sinners and about the care of their very soul. Like the ark, the church has been constructed to withstand the ravages of floods that beat against it. And you know, there are times, and we're probably uh, in one of those times when there's a lot of fear and people wonder, you know, will the darkness ever end? And so like Noah, we have to hold fast to the promise of God's new creation, that God is indeed making all things new. There will be a glorious day when we, um, by God's grace, step into the fullness of all of his kingdom revealed for us. Now, that's a great, those are great truths to remember, and so it leads me then to this question. If we, uh, as Christians, if we as the church um, are to be about this high calling of rescue of sinners and the care of souls, why uh, do so many want to exchange that high calling for the golden calf of consumeristic religion? To look at the religion of the consumer, of religious goods and services, and say, there's the God that delivered us. Why are so many churches throughout our nation, and if you want to track the de demise of our nation spiritually, only track the demise of the church, which has given itself over to the religion of consumerism, providing goods and services the way people want them to be provided. If we have such a high calling... Why are we so susceptible to uh, golden calves? And what uh, has been, for me, an eye-opening uh, book, and I'll just 
quote from one of its chapters, uh, one of the boldest and most accurate critiques of the church that I have read in some time. We'll put the quote up on the board uh, or on the screen uh, by Pastor J. Todd Billings. He writes this, Christianity is actively being cloned and displaced by a quite different religious faith. In many ways, in this colonizing theology, the religious consumer has become a king. The God of Israel, made known in Jesus Christ, is only confessed when it fits into the consumer's sovereign plans for what a deity can and cannot be. Just think about that for a moment. In an equally powerful assessment of the situation, another pastor, Trevin Wax, uses data from a recent study on the decline in church attendance, and he quotes from an article that describes the religion of the day as personal identity accessory. Personal identity accessory. Here's his, here's his quote as he, as he comments on this. For those who want a religion of personal identity accessory, they find that the purpose of religion is not to promote right living grounded in good beliefs, but to offer practices and techniques that promote coping with life and the making of good choices. He then comments, in their mind then, the role of religion is not an authoritative center of tradition, but an optional lifestyle accoutrement. Now, I had to look up the word accoutrement because I didn't know what it meant. And uh, in today's slang, bling. I like bling as one syllable instead of accoutrement, which I couldn't spell, so that's why they have spell check. But what people want today in their personal accessory is a little bit of bling. This means that in the prevailing view of people both inside the church, and don't think for one moment that consumerism doesn't affect us, it does. That consumerism of religious goods and services, that attitude in the church and predominantly outside the church makes us no different or better than Claire's up in the mall. Or if you want an upscale version, uh, the accessory department at Macy's. Or if you want bling, you can go to the Bling Boutique in Clifton Park. Rhonda doesn't know it. We're headed down there today. i got to get me some bling. This is what religious consumerism does. It makes us king. Religion, as an individual accessory, you pick out, you choose to wear, is the preferred religion of the masses of people today. For some, it might be Christianity. There are churches full of people today that are after religious consumer goods. And they better get them or they'll go find another place to go on Sunday because they're a good Christian. they got to be in church. It might be Christianity or it might not be. It might be some other thing. Like Linus in the pumpkin patch, people think that all we really have to do is to appease God or the great pumpkin, if you will. And if I just have a sincere pumpkin patch that comes from my accessory, 
My accessory might be hard work. My accessory might be conservative values. Or my accessory might be liberal values. My accessory might be, you know, a small family might be a large family. But people see these things as goods and services that they put on and wear as a way of appeasing God. This is what the consumer says. And so we have to ask, well, well, why is it a problem? If there is a God and he is a nice God, wouldn't he just accept sincerity? I mean, isn't sincerity, shouldn't sincerity be the highest value we bring before a deity? Hey, I, I don't know exactly what you want, deity, but I'm sincere in what I'm doing here. So we'll take off our golden earrings and silver necklaces and we'll throw them into a big fire and out pops a golden calf and we'll say, there's our God. So why is it a problem? Well, it's a problem because of what the Apostle Paul tells us when he evaluates the situation some many years ago now, writing to the Corinthian church. I decided to use the uh, paraphrase, the message, because I like the last phrase of this. We'll put it up on the screen for you. The unspiritual self, just as it is by nature, cannot receive the gifts of God's Spirit. There is no capacity for them. They seem like so much silliness. They seem like so much silliness. I'm convinced that week after week, there are folks who listen to me, either in this room, maybe down at St. James, or over the internet somehow, and they hear what I'm saying, and they're content to stay uh, because for whatever reason, they're in church, but what I'm saying simply sounds like silliness because they are still in their natural state, their unspiritual self, which in their natural state, um, by nature, cannot receive the, the gifts of God's Spirit. They, they have no capacity for them. So, so in other words, because of our condition as a natural person, sinners outside of God's grace, we simply are not able to accept what God has told us about how we can please God, how we can have our sins forgiven. You may, and others may, prefer to take the path of self-salvation. That is at the heart of consumeristic religion. And this is not a new problem. But the response of the church to consumer demands is a newer problem. Because the church is being colonized and displaced by the religion of the consumer, and the church seems happy to have it happen. All over our nation today, Tens and tens of thousands of people will gather in massive buildings to have their religious needs met. But they remain in their natural state, in large measure, unable to receive the gifts of God's Spirit because they have no capacity for them. And if you sit down with them, you say, oh, we need to teach some doctrine. We need to teach some theology. Like, what? We're going to start teaching theology here. I'm going to go find another place. Oh, we need to retrieve apostolic teaching. We need to bury ourselves in apostolic teaching and be thinking from... Oh, I, 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 it's not very practical. No longer do churches see themselves as the ark of God's salvation that rescues sinners and cares for souls. The church is now a place where people come in, have their needs met in the way that they perceive to be best. 
And in large measure, people who attend church, maybe here and other places, have forgotten Paul's instruction about the natural man. And they certainly have forgotten the warning about golden calves. So if you would rather have the golden calf of a bling-like salvation experience, you can make that choice, but the destination simply isn't going to work out so well for you. No matter how many accessories you may add, no matter how well-intentioned they may appear to be, no matter how hardworking you are, how often you come to church, how often you do good things for people, how much uh, you, uh, you know, line up with the values of morality or you line up with the values of immorality, whatever it is, without Jesus Christ saving you, saving you, you will, like the Noah story, be outside the ark. And God's judgment will await. So just as judgment fell in the days of Noah, judgment is going to most certainly come again. And all who are outside the ark of God's salvation simply will not survive the judgment. But, but I want to tell you something, that the future destination isn't the only problem. There is a problem that exists today, right now, right here. You see, self-salvation can't answer the problem that exists here today, right now. And that is, you need your soul cared for. You need your soul cared for. One of my favorite movies is Master and Commander, Far Side of the World. It's a thrilling story of naval warfare. It's set in 1805. Uh, in the movie, in the opening of the movie, we're told that Napoleon is the master of Europe and only the British fleet stands before him. Oceans are now battlefields. And then the screen pulls back and uh, it shows a beautiful blue ocean with the HMS Surprise coming uh, into view. We're told she's off the north coast of Brazil. We're told that the ship has 28 guns and 197 souls. 197 souls. It is that last phrase that catches my attention each time I watch the movie. I watch the movie a lot. 197 souls. Not sailors, not men, not captain and crew, but souls. You see, on the ark, it wasn't just Noah and his family. Eight souls needed to be rescued. Souls is the key word Jesus uses when he asks us one of the most important questions we could ever ask ourselves. And if you've never asked yourself this question, you need to ask it, and you need to answer it according to what the Scriptures would tell you to do. Here it is. We'll put it on the screen for you. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose what? His own soul. Or what shall a man give in exchange for his what? On the HMS Surprise, Captain Jack knew that he was not only fighting for king and country, 
but he also was charged with caring for the souls of the men on his ship. Jesus, who is the captain of our salvation, knows that we not only need to be rescued by him from our sins, but then through his church, our very souls are to be cared for. And while it is true that people will exchange their souls for religious bling, the church must resist helping them do it. The church must resist helping them do it. Why? It's because God has commissioned us to be the ark of his salvation for our community. Like Noah, we are to announce that Jesus is the rescue for sinners, that through the death of Jesus, salvation can come. But then as we bring people into the ark of his salvation, we then are to care for their souls. For what is the church but a body prepared for the care of souls? Now, let me remind you that in our humanity, we are both body and soul. So I'm not at all implying that the body is somehow unimportant. The body is vitally important, but soul is the soul. And in a materialistic age, we forget how important the soul is actually is for in the religion of the consumer they're always looking for a new trinket that they can put on their body a new way to appease god or to appease their conscience whatever it might be but those trinkets that bling will never 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 be able to heal and care for your soul that which is deep within you the religion of self-salvation cannot relieve you of the burden of shame. It cannot relieve you of the burden of guilt. It cannot take away your anxiety. It cannot take away your fear. It cannot heal your grief. It cannot carry your sorrows. The religion of the consumer, however that might be expressed, will not stand with you in loneliness the way Jesus does, nor will it help you truly enjoy and celebrate those times of plenty, those great celebrations and parties and the great provision, but Jesus stands with you, claps his hand, and is glad when the festal shout is made. The religion of individual accessorizing is a dead end in the next life because it is a dead end in this life. And this is why we read the two texts from the New Testament. One focused on apostolic preaching. And we, we've talked about that over a number of weeks. And we're in this section where we are reproving you with the word of God to awaken your dull and dead conscience because we are all drawn into the appeal of religious consumerism. And people say, oh, you want more people in the church? You know, you need better curbside appeal. You know, I'll never forget, many, many years ago, a guy, you know, I was talking to over in the old Durkeytown Chapel there, and he was asking me about the church, and he said, well, I know how to get more people in this church. I'm like, well, how? He goes, well, just preach a whole lot shorter sermons. And I'm like, uh, well, you don't even go to church, dude. Like, you know what? You don't even know how long I preached. I think the guy wanted me to get up and basically say, hey, God's up there, we're down here, let's hope he looks at us, and that's the end of it, you know? 
there's always the, the appeal out there. Oh, get a, get a better look. Get a better this. Get a better that. Oh, then they'll like you. Then they'll come. They'll come back. They'll pat you on the back. What a great job you're doing. But the church has been tasked with the care of souls. And so religious consumerism is a dead end in the next life because it's a dead end in this life. We must keep preaching, retrieving, drilling down into the Word of God. And then, of course, what we talked about also a few weeks ago, apostolic pastoring. You must have a high expectation of your elders to care for your soul. Not to just make sure a sermon happens every week and the lights are turned on, but that your soul is actually cared for. Both of these things are going to be needed if we're going to turn back the tide against the colonizing forces that want to further displace the church. And the more you expect, and the more you desire, the more you have taste buds for these things, the more the Spirit brings life and energy, and the Spirit blesses and grows, and the ministry then becomes a place where people actually can come and they hear about the rescue for sinners and the care of their souls. Pray for us that we make every effort in these two tasks. These are the things that the Spirit has promised to empower. He says, I will show up when the Word of God is open. I will show up when you are caring for somebody's soul. I will be there. I will show them Jesus. So what does it look like? I think it's, it's somewhat easy to show you apostolic preaching. Hopefully you, you detect that every week. But what does the care of a soul look like? Psalm 89. I told you we'd eventually get there. Psalm 89. It's such good tonic for the tired soul. It provides light and life for us. And if we desire continuous renewal, we need to come to texts like this. And so I'm just going to walk you through it. And what I'm going to do is care for your soul as I do it. I want to remind you that our God is a God of steadfast love. Whatever situation or circumstances you find yourself in right now, it is not outside of God's love. God's love is steadfast. It endures forever. And our great privilege and responsibility is to, with our mouths, make known His faithfulness to all generations. So whatever hardship you may be up against or whatever great blessing that you had this week and you're kind of tempted to lay low in your spiritual life because after all, these great things happen, I want to just draw back your soul into the reality of God's steadfast love which endures forever. You see, it will be built up forever. It is in the heavens that he establishes his faithfulness and it is here on earth that he revealed that faithfulness in covenant with his servant David. And we've, we've talked again about that uh, work that God is doing as he builds his house through the eternal covenant that he made with David. When he said to David in verse 4, I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. The steadfast love of the Lord is going to continue for your soul because the son of David, the faithful Israelite, Jesus, sits on the throne today. Amen. He lives for you. 
He intercedes on your behalf. He's caring for you today. And so what's the response then uh, that we should give? Well, we, we praise just as the heavens are praising. We praise and we look at your faithfulness and we say, who in the skies can be compared to the Lord? Bring your religious bling, put it over here, and then put God and all of God's truth over here and say, what can compare to God? The one whose faithfulness endures forever. The one who loves us and cares for us so very much. Who in the skies can be compared to the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord? A God greatly to be feared in the counsel of his holy ones. Awesome above all who are around him. When you are tempted to drift away, just do a comparison. Just do an honest look. Whatever thing you're pursuing other than God, you've got to sit down and ask yourself, is that going to deliver in this life and in the life to come? No matter how sincere it is, no matter how good it might look, is it going to deliver now and in the life to come? You see, he is the God of hosts. He's mighty, verse number eight. His faithfulness is around them. What does he rule? He rules the raging of the sea. Can you imagine your little religious trinket ruling the raging sea? Can you imagine the next great latest idea that humans come up with for how we're going to all solve our problem? Ruling the raging of the sea? When you lay down in bed at night, when you think about it, and you're troubled, what are you reaching for? Reach for the one who cares for that deepest need and not only cares about it, but rules over it even when the... When the waves rise up, he can still them. He crushes the enemy. He scatters the enemy. The heavens belong to him. The earth belongs to him. The world is all his. He founded them. The north, the south, Tabor, Hermon, all of them praise God, the one with the mighty arm, the one who is strong. And you know, we think about these things and sometimes we get detached about God up there and all of the glory and all the power of God, but we forget that at the foundation of his throne is righteousness and justice, that steadfast love and faithfulness go before him, so much so that we, his people, who know the festal shout, know it because we walk in the light of his face. What are you spending time with throughout your week? What wakes you up in the morning? What do you go to bed with at night? What consumes your mind during the day? Is it the light, the glory of God revealed in the face of Christ that makes your light shine and your face shine and instills hope in your heart for whatever hardship and trouble you may have? You see, our shield then, what does it do? It belongs to the Lord. Our King, the Holy One of Israel. This is what the church should be providing for you. Not only a sermon, but sitting down with you and caring for your soul like this out of the scriptures. And in doing so, we will be uh, hopefully a whole less likely to turn to a golden calf and a whole more, lot more likely to turn to the God of our salvation, the one who has rescued sinners and the one who cares for our soul. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for your word to us this morning. 
And I thank you, O God, that you and your spirit right now are at work within it to do the thing that you are doing with it. And as we prepare ourselves for your table, O Lord, I ask that we would once again remember that it is here at the family meal, the table, that we celebrate together the life-giving reality of our Savior Jesus. And in doing so, O God, may we find help in time of need. You can take time and do some quiet preparation, and we'll celebrate the table together. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Ken Prater of Durkeytown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. You may freely copy and distribute this message, but please do so at no charge and without altering the contents in any way. For more information about Durkeytown, please visit our website at www.durkeytown.org.